Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to The Blind Spot. I am really excited to have another amazing woman on my podcast today. Some of you may know Catherine Bell. I got an opportunity to interview her in the fall. She is the CEO and founder of The Awakened Company, and she is involved in many different initiatives in the Enneagram world, as well as the personal growth world in general. And in this fall, she has a new offering on the power of relationships that she's teaching with Dr. Deborah Egerton. So I asked if she would come on the show today to tell us a little bit more about this amazing new curriculum that they have developed together so that we can get excited. And if anybody can get involved, I will have the link in the show notes as to how you can register. So without further ado, um, if people want to know more about you, Catherine, they can go listen to that episode we had in the fall. Let's jump right into this new offering you have and tell me why you're excited about it. What sparked the idea and what can people look forward to if they sign up? So Sue, thank you, Kara, first for having me. And thank you to everybody listening. And Dr. Deborah Egerton and I have been wanting to play together for a very long time. And we thought because, and also felt because of our interest and passion for relationships, we should do a relationship course together and also our practical experience. We're both in partnership. We're both mothers, godmothers, have friends, are in business partnerships, etc. And everything, Kara, is done in relationship. And anytime we want to influence anything, it's always done in relationship. What's our relationship to anger like? What's our relationship to anxiety like? What's our relationship to image like, and really exploring that very fulsome. And if we ever want to change that, if we ever want to change our relationship, we need to know what are those particular levers to maybe press down on or, or lighten up on so that we can discover a healthier way to be in relationship with ourselves, with our planet, with our colleagues, with our friends, with our lovers, with all of the above, everything exists in relationship. And that is why Dr. Egerton and I felt we needed to do this course together mm. to also present a new lens on it, a, a more creative lens on relationship and re- relatedness. And from a very practical standpoint, not from kind of the ethos, just talking about it, not being talking heads, rather being embodied mm. uh, practitioners of relationships. Yeah. I love that we have an eight and a one teaching this class together because those are two very practical types. You're not going to walk away with all heady theory. It's going to really be actionable items and things that you can take right now and move into the world with. And I'm curious, how much of an Enneagram focus is there going to be week by week or is it going to be pulling in other modalities and other teachings? What's sort of the backbone from the, you know, if you were to describe the frame through which you're looking at relationships? Hmm. So in each session, there will be a grounding, a teaching, a check-in. There'll be Q&A. There'll also be experiential exercises. It's very focused, though, on relationships as a spiritual portal to growth. Our portals to mind stream or to heaven, to being, to earth, We'll be, we'll talk about the gifts. We'll be talking about meditations. We'll be giving you very, very real practices that you can apply to your daily life mm-hmm. and things that we've, we've played with as well. So for example, when we think of the eights, how are we all leaders in relationships? How do we use our power, our fire energy in relationships? And what does that mean? What does that really mean for each person? And we'll be exploring that with everybody. We'll also be giving everyone handouts. Every week you'll get a handout for what we'll be covering so that you can really apply it. And eventually, I think Dr. Egerton and I are looking to make a book out of it. So we're really, really, really excited 
to do this in our community. Also, we'll have an international lens, being from Canada and America, and our participants and guests, I imagine, will be from all around the world. So really invite people to come and play with us. We have, um, I have a code right now that people can use called, and the code is IEA2023, and you'll get a 30% discount on the course. And I also want to say, if anyone can't afford it, Kara, I have always, and we will provide scholarships to people mm, yeah. to ensure they have access to what it is that we're doing. And I feel and, and think that what we're doing is really breakthrough. Yeah. Really breakthrough. When have we talked about, for example, our relationships to the earth with the Enneagram? Mm. Like in um, when I was in San Francisco presenting with Russ on creativity in the Enneagram, I spoke about something that I think is really important. And that is, did you know that there are far more diamonds in the world, in the universe, than there are trees? Yet how do we place our attention and where do we place our awareness in relationship to the trees around us? Mm. How are we noticing the divine that is around us all the time yeah. or not noticing? How do we see what's made up in our relationships and how do we see which stories are real? Mm. Be going in and diving into this and using um, our everything that's coming to us as the portal for creating healthy, healthy, healthy relationships. And relationships are such a wonderful opportunity for growth because if we don't have each other to bump up against, we're not ever going to get an accurate picture of who and what we are. And I love this whole idea of recognizing that whatever behavior that we're seeing inside of a human is just something, it's a strategy that they've chosen to meet a need. And so often we can see somebody do something and get really triggered by that and say, why did that person X, Y, Z in way A, B, C, and then the whole judgments and all of these other things can start flowing and I think that one of the things the Enneagram has offered to me and to many others who are using it for personal growth, not simply a typology tool to say you are a three wing, two, whatever, stack, yada, 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 that really what the question is, is given these things that I know about type, am I conscious of how these are manifesting? And when they do manifest inside of me, and now this is a chemical that I'm putting into the space between me and this other person, and they're going to be showing up with their type and their flavor, and they're going to be putting something into this space. And now we have these two unique energies, which like the sexual instinct is meant to do, may come together and actually spark into some new amazing thing. And sometimes they come together and they spark and they explode and you get a little burned and you're like, whoa, like what happened with that experiment? And it doesn't mean that we don't experiment anymore, but that gives us an opportunity to go back to the bench, back to the lab and say, huh, what ingredients did I put in? What ingredients did that person put in? And what I love about this work is that even if that other person is not interested in looking at the ingredients they're putting in, that I can still continue to work with my energies and just increase my capacity to hold a wider and wider number of ingredients that may come my way. At least that's mm -hmm. how I've been looking at it. That's a beautiful way, beautiful way to put it. And I want to bring up an example in relationship. Please. Between Kent and I. So the, for those of you who don't know, Kent Brown and I have been married for 28 years. Wow. So Talk about a Petri dish. I'm sure it was perfect people. every day of those 28 years. <laughs> like, I am not a very easy person to live with. Like, what? I'm really not. I don't like, believe I'm, you. No. Oh, no. No. I, like, super I'm perfect. I'm easy to live with. It's why I'm on my, like, fourth or fifth long-term committed relationship. Yeah. Okay. So give me some pointers, Catherine. How have you done this? Well, I just want to provide uh, an example of when we're at a, a real kind of breaking point yeah. in our marriage. And I felt like, you know, death by a thousand cuts. I'm like, gosh, I'm just never perfect enough. Like I'm never, I'm never quite right enough. And I just felt like I was kind of being slashed and like literally physically, it felt like a physical cuts on my body. It wasn't physical cuts, but it felt that way emotionally. Yeah. 
So we were in therapy and you have the eight one dynamic and one simple practice saved our marriage. And that is when Kent uh, feels the anger in his body, instead of kind of erupting it, like just spewing it out, like our poison comes up, may we not project it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So instead of spewing out the poison of anger or reacting angrily, what he, what he learned is to really use his senses to come back to his body Mm -hmm. to say, okay, when I feel this, it's literally like a flash of anger for him. When I feel the flash of anger, then I come back. What are, what do I see right now? And then that automatically resets him kinesthetically to mm-hmm. not respond to the place of automatic. So Dr. Egerton and I are going to be going through practices of how do we not respond from automatic? And yeah. those simple practices can save relationships. Mm, I love that. And, and as I said earlier, everything is in relationship and between us and anything that we might want to influence is a relationship. How does it show up inside of you, Catherine? Like what's an automatic thing that you recognized and how do you work with that? Yeah, great, great question. Thank you very much for asking. It's so my Bunsen burner, it's like I have a candle in my belly that's always on. Yeah. A, a fire, a fire in my belly that's always on. Mm-hmm. And it's always ready to erupt. <laughs> I mean, literally my body will turn red, will flush red. Yeah. And so for me, it's noticing when that Bunsen burner's been turned up maybe a little bit too much. And I actually physically need to go for a walk or physically yeah. need to do something to dispel that energy. Otherwise, my poison just gets spewed out. Sure. Yeah. Right? And it's automatic. It's blunt. And it's cutting. It's almost a sense within um, my eighthood that it's like this knife that comes through and it's like... I know how to get revenge. I know how to hurt that person because they've just hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it comes back to physical practice. So I have a lot of physical practices. Mm -hmm. I also have a lot of uh, spiritual practices Mm -hmm. to work with that flame throwing energy, to work with the, the taste that burnt toast taste, that burnt, that burnt smell that I can, because I can literally set force on fire with the wrong gaze, you know, like in terms of my relationships. I do know because I'm an assertive type and yeah, you, anybody, the, the three is different than the eight, but we can have our big bursts of emotion as well, as I'm sure you know, when that heart center becomes disintegrated and we aren't connected. And I have found my self-empathy and self-compassion practices to be so helpful to like mm-hmm. look at that part of me that is feeling so emotional in that moment And to just kind of like accompany it because it's like, of course you're angry or of course you're sad. Like you were really wanting this and this is what's happening. And yeah, this is really hard for you right now. And to just kind of give myself that space where I can actually experience the feeling without trying to like spill it onto somebody else, make somebody else responsible for the emotions that I'm having. That's one that I've really enjoyed just starting to really lean into and try to remember when I get activated. Mm -hmm. And it's people, you know, may not realize how sensitive eights are. Like I'm so sensitive. Somebody looks at me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Like they don't like me. Like that rejection structure is so strong in me, Kara. So it's like, how do it's working for me working with that? What about that rejection structure and really contemplating? is and I also ask people all the time hey and tell people you know the story I made up about what you just said was this is that real and often it's not real right so it's it's also using my words in a kind and compassionate kind and compassionate way and for me lately what's been coming up is I've been wanting to take a real stand for the empowered and embodied feminine and so I'm also doing a course with Tara Mandela on September 28th on the empowered feminine. Mm-hmm. And it's something I would like to see more of in the Enneagram community. What does that really mean? And I'd invite people to come. I'm doing it with Charlotte Rotterdam uh, mm-hmm. from Tara Mandela, who will be speaking about Vajra pride. What does it mean to be kind of take our seat as women? Mm, I love and that. I'm really, really, really excited uh, to do that. And then 
Another big partner, as you know, of mine is, is Russ Hudson. And Russ and I are going to be doing, we have a number of things. We have spirituality and everyday life on December 16th, self-awareness in the Enneagram on January 6th, and Enneagram and transformational leadership in March. We also have a secret group. We actually have hundreds on the wait list for that. However, if people find the green dot on our website, we are looking at building out a lineage stream. Um, and I'm really, really, really excited about that. So our relationships, what I'm pointing in all in all of these courses, et cetera. Oh, yes. I'm also doing a live Enneagram session in Calgary on December 9th. And it will be my only live one. I typically only work for private corporations and in private um, with private leaders. Um, however, uh, they've asked me to do it and I said I would do it. It will sell out very quickly. However, if people want to join. I want to let them know about that. And again, that's done in relationship. Everything we do is done in relationship. So how can we build a healthy field of relationship with our business colleagues, with people who are on the same stream as us? And that's what Dr. Egerton and I are going to be talking about. Mm. Because if you don't have healthy relationships, the foundation crumbles. Absolutely. Foundation of the house crumbles. So I really want to take a stand for healthy relationships and also the empowered feminine. And I've been really working at dusting off kind of the patriarchy in my in my being. And I still have a lot of work to do around that because I find myself being quiet when I shouldn't be quiet, Kara. Mm, so yeah. it's for me, it's knowing when I need to be fierce, when I need to be semi-wrathful and when I need to be peaceful. Yeah. And using and being very present in the moment to which of those energies are most needed. Mm. And I think it's really important for us all at this point in time to activate our empowered feminine for the planet and for humanity, because it is changing. It is life changing. How would you define the empowered feminine? Or maybe you could say, what does an empowered feminine look like? And what does an unempowered feminine look like? What a great question. Let me just go yeah. and answer this. So what's come up for me for unempowered feminine is someone who plays by the rules, someone who incorrectly or unpowerfully lies on the bed without knowing and feeling right action who almost, I feel like there's like a lead blanket on top of them. And that lead, bank, lead blanket is is patriarchy and the patriarchal structures. And of course, they're very heavy and they're very thick. And there's almost a submission to societal norms that women's or the female belongs in a certain place and time. Whereas the empowered feminine as all centers activated, takes off that lead blanket and knows how to dance with what is and also within the world in a fierce and also a gentle way, kind, and yet there's a fierceness to the empowered feminine. And so learning how to take off the various lead blankets of our societal conditioning and dancing in a free-form way, in a way that mm, is unobstructed by whether it be our anger, our anxiety, or our image issues, and dancing that way so that the world is more free, humanity is more free, and everybody is living into their divine potential, and in their divine potential, then new things are possible as we relate to each other, as we relate to the earth, as we relate to mindstream or heaven, as we relate to the various elements, everything becomes more imbued with life and with life force and with positive impact. Mm, thank you. It was really beautiful to watch you go inside and just speak to us from that place where I can tell that you're so intimately connected with this vision and this beautiful way that we can all be in the world. And while I was listening to you speak, we started, you know, talking about this empowered 
feminine. And what came up for me as I was listening to you is that this class is probably not only for women because men have this inside of them as well. And it's really, how do we look at the parts of ourselves that have all of these habitual patriarchal loops associated with them? And I would say that that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the International Enneagram Association meeting this year, is that there really was a lot of time given to start unpacking this and to realize what are these things of patriarchy, these toxic masculine structures that so many of us just simply view as the way it is and the way that you may be. So if you were open to it, I was going to share a few of these patriarchal structures and just to see like how that resonates in you and how you come into relationship with that so that people can have a little bit of a taste of what they might be experiencing in your class, if that's okay with you. That would be amazing. Mm. So yeah, when I was hearing you talk about compassion and you were talking about that balance between kindness, but a certain type of fierceness or intensity, that word that popped up for me was fierce compassion. And when I think of fierce compassion, I think there's an element of truth-telling. And I feel like there are many times in our society where we live in a state of denial because we aren't willing to step in and say a truth that is unpopular. And when we realize that a certain truth may embarrass somebody or may expose something that puts somebody in a less positive light, there can be a million reasons, especially if we're social dominant, for example, and you know we're really tracking a lot of those things. But how do we actually even just give each other feedback in relationship? I mean, this is really, really important. How do we speak our truth as we're seeing it, understanding that we may just be telling ourselves a story, so we have to check in, like you said, but how do we become more comfortable with not having to be nice. I think that's one of these aspects I was hearing you reference. Mm. What a great question, Kara. Uh, so first off, I want to let people know I did an amazing video on demand session with a woman named Tamika and her book is called Truth Aches. Mm -hmm. And I actually have it in my video on demand library. So if people are really interested in how to communicate truth aches, and I love that term that she used, which is originally from Jeff Brown and she cites him, I would really suggest taking a look at our video on demand for truth aches. And feedback is super important. So one thing I've noticed is often with my colleagues, I'm with male colleagues, I'm talked at. Hmm. So it's not a converse, not a conversation like we're having today, Kara, which you so eloquently ask questions, hold space, are involved in the conversation, but I'm often talked at. So I want to give that very specific example of like, okay, I have this feedback to give uh, a feeling like somebody who is really a peer and I'm being talked at. And that actually happened a number of times at the conference to me mm. where I was talked at, not talked with, like mm. outside of the, the normal setting. So um, I love the con I love providing, okay, here's um, what I'm noticing. Here's the story I'm making up. And I use it all from the I language. Yeah. Here's what I'm noticing. Here's the stories I'm making up. Here's what my thoughts are on the matter. Here's what my feelings are. My preference would be mm. X, Y, Z to have more of a conversation. Are you interested? You know, how not are you interested in what I have to say? Because that puts them on the spot. That's my eight talking. That's my eight talking when I said that. It's more like I'd really love to have a conversation with you, like a real conversation. Yeah, I'm hearing that you really value mutuality and that you want to know that, hey, I'm hearing your ideas and I would love it if you might pause and ask me about some of my ideas. And then I would love to pause and hear about more of your ideas. And so would you be willing to let me cue you when I'm noticing that I'm having some ideas to share because you might forget to leave space for me? It would be something like that. Well, I, I, we can't, the thing is about getting feedback. It's all from my perspective. 
because I don't want to ever make somebody, when I say you, especially given my eight energy, when I say you to somebody, it's like they go like this, you know, they, I create, it can create a lot of fear mm-hmm. and I never would intend to create a fearful reaction. So, well, it's not that I, I don't want to ever intend. I sometimes do intend and I use my physicality to kind of get that point across. So for me, it's like, okay, I am noticing that you have a lot to say on this topic and I'm really, really interested in what you have to say. The story I'm making up is I feel like you're trying to prove something to me. Mm. My, my feelings are that I think it would be a really creative conversation were we, to, were we again, the we instead of you, were we to dialogue more about it. Mm. Yeah. Can I invite in more dialogue? Yeah. And then in that way, it's not like putting them on the defensive, Kara, because especially given you, you see me like I'm five foot 10. I've got this people, the energy, this forward energy that people, I can scare people just by walking in a room and I, I don't want to do that. So I'm very careful now and I don't always do it perfectly, but use, here's what I'm noticing. Here's my story. Here are my thoughts. I'm using the different centers in all of this too, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's my preference of behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And then people kind of react to it. And I also, it puts them at ease. And I think then uh, the conversation that I had when I used that, it became more creative because they had a spark. I had a spark. And together it became more of like a roaring bonfire, a healthy bonfire. Because it was, there was a mutuality and respect and also an appreciation for one another. Rather than kind of the man, and no, by the way, I just want to be clear, no woman did this to me at the conference. Yeah. It was only men yeah. who talked at me. And it felt like this. Yeah. So really raising the awareness of what that feels like for mm-hmm. all of us, whether we have that habit as a woman or if we're a man that has that habit. Yeah. I love that. And I don't think it's anyone's, it was anyone's intention. Oh, no. I don't think there was any ill intent. It, to me, it also sounds like sometimes we lose track of what the other person is wanting. Like I'm so lost in my own words or what I'm saying that I forget to check in and see what might be alive for the other person. It's almost, I say that that's kind of like mental masturbation. It's like a solo activity. It's like I could walk away and you're going to just keep going and like, you know, I don't really even have to be here. And so, like, you know, I always say, like, I want to make sure that I'm not mentally masturbating. Am I doing this alone or am I doing this in dialogue? And so that's just a little funny thing that I always call up whenever um, I notice myself or anyone else getting caught in that kind of loop. I love it. Mental masturbation and also it's emotional masturbation. Are we just wanting to kind of, or is it physical masturbation? Am I leaning in too much, you know? So I love that term that you just use. And it's like, why am I here? Am I simply here to provide stimulation for your experience or are you wanting to co-create an experience together? Yes. And I do feel a more feminine approach is a circle approach. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to be in this together and we're yeah. going to sit around a, a, a circle, circular table and we're going to have a conversation. Mm, I love and it's that. a different, it's a different way to approach things and it's a different, it can be uncomfortable as a leader. And I still believe we need, we need leadership. Like I went and sat with Occupy on wall street And it made me realize why leaderless movements don't work. We need leadership. However, I think true leadership is about empowering the other and getting other people to think for themselves, to feel for themselves, to question for themselves, to behave differently as a result of us showing up. And what I'm hearing is that as a leader that's sitting at a round table, that the best leaders find a way to make space for all the voices because we know not everybody is an assertive type and kind of finds their way. Specifically, how do we support withdrawn types, maybe dependent types who have not yet cultivated that assertive side of themselves to really hear those beautiful 
contributions that everyone has to make, even when they may not come out with as much intensity and fire and rapidity that they do in a more assertive type. Mm-hmm. To- totally. I love that, you know, when we think of the withdrawn types, the four or five, nine, like how do we invite them to our feast? Mm. How do yeah. we, I want everyone at the table because in having everybody at the table, it becomes more delicious and far Absolutely. more interesting and far more provocative and far more intoxicating. And also like, I'm very interested in learning and I learn a ton more. I'm thinking of this word nourishment when you say you want them all at the table. We want a well-balanced meal, which includes all of the energies, right? All of the all of the energies and all of the instincts and, and tending to it and paying attention to the cultivation of what normally may not be always cultivated. Yeah. And you're bringing up another idea for me when I think about relationships. You know, the law of three comes up. And I think about how when I'm entering into relationship with somebody, there's a me and there's a them, and these are two unique forces. And then in that space between us, the relationship is actually that third force. So how can I stay present to me and what I'm needing, trusting that the other person will also stay present to themselves and what they're needing? But then can we both also view this relationship and view that almost like its own separate entity? And what if each of us agreed to just tend to this relationship? And if the relationship is suffering, we come together and can look at that and say, hmm, what is this relationship needing? And does Mm -hmm. that fuel from what I'm needing? And am I in tune at all with what you're needing? Or how can we develop better communication so that that triangle that includes me, you, and the relationship, can all be fed. And I'm curious how that analogy is landing for you because I've come to start seeing relationships as that third force that the affirming and denying suddenly spark. Mm-hmm. I think it's very, what you just said is very, very, very true and very insightful that the relationship is, and every relationship, I wrote about this in The Awakened Company. If you haven't read my book, Please read my book, our book, really. It's a community book. I speak about role and relatedness. Mm. Other thing I've learned about my, uh, my marriage is that every relationship cannot fulfill every function. So in other words, that third force that you're speaking of, I think every relationship is being called to that third force. Mm. Yeah. So my relationship with Kent cannot be everything. No. Well, and I think this is why we have so many relationships. Like I'm simply unknown in this system. And when I think of all the relationships that I have in my life, there are certain needs that are met by different relationships. And if I can stay checked in and be like, okay, this person either doesn't have the capacity or the interest or willingness to meet a need that I have, it doesn't mean that my need's not important. It just means how do I open up my own creativity to saying what are the other resources that I have within myself or within my community or within the world that I can plug into to feel a little more nourished, a little more fed, a little more full in that place that might feel a little empty. But when I really get attached to the strategy that that person needs to do a certain thing within a certain time in a certain way, so that my need is met, I notice that that often leads to a lot of disappointment on my end. And mm-hmm. theirs, if they're expecting that from me. What a, that's a great example of what I was just speaking about. Like, it's a beautiful example. And it's first, it begins, as you said, like our relationship to ourselves. Mm-hmm. How are we related to mindstream, to heaven, to earth, to the different elements? How are we related? To, how do we relate to our senses? How do we do we know whether we learn kinesthetically, auditorily, or it's the third one? Kinesthetic, auditory, or sight. Visual, yeah. Visual, visual, which most people are visual. So do we know? Like I was just speaking to someone and they said, you know, I failed almost my entire 
uh, high school. And it's because I didn't learn auditorily. I learned kinesthetically. So mm. all these like hacks of how do we bring wisdom, our own inner wisdom to life and not expecting our relationships to fill our gaps, of course. And it's also an and because we can't, we can not know ourselves without knowing the other. So it's, it's a paradox. And I think there's always truth and paradox. So where there's truth, there's paradox. So it's knowing ourselves, knowing the other and knowing that the force of the relationship or the, the, uh, the role of the relatedness between the two people. That's very, very important. I wrote some notes down for the, for the different types as it relates to this course. And one thing that I also want to talk about is transmission because transmission for me happens in the moment. It also happens at very odd times. So I have a pen and paper with me at almost all times because my form of transmission, it will like hit me like lightning at different times. So I just want to talk about how there's different forms of transmission and people often just think it's transmission in the moment. Yes, there's that. And there's also transmission during follow times. There's also transmission in the middle of the night. There's also transmission in our dreams. And to really for us to think more broadly about the notion of transmission. And I don't think that we talk about that enough. Mm. So I really, in our relationship, what is our relationship to our form of transmission? When I'm hearing you talk about transmission, I'm thinking of the point six energy that lives inside of me that knows. There's like an intuition. And when I'm connected to my point six energy, there's like this openness and this spaciousness that is not only coming from my senses, like what am I seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, but also what is being downloaded if I'm open enough to receive it. And these are energetic frequencies from the humans around me, from the earth, from the heavens. And like you said, they can come in through dreams. So that's mm -hmm. what I was imagining when I was hearing you speak. Is that resonating for you or is there a slightly different flavor for you? Every particular type has different intuitions related to the different points. Mm. So for some, and for you, for example, that feels very, very six. So that's your particular transmission line. With and as a three, I feel this connection to nine and six. Like I often feel like I dance around this triangle, but when I'm, when I'm functioning from intuition, it feels like I'm hanging out at six. When I'm functioning from compassion and my heart, it feels like I'm operating from my three. And when I'm operating from like a place of groundedness, this like connection to the earth, this sense of power and autonomy that feels like I'm operating from my nine. So I don't know, what what is it like as an eight? You have a heart-centered point and a head-centered point. Is it a similar thing for you or did I just make that up? Well, first of all, I want to honor your experience. So Thank you. your experience is not made up. Your experience <laughs> is real to your experience. Thank you. So, and I think that's one thing as women to hold our experiences real because yeah. it's our experience yeah. so i just want to honor you and that is powerful wisdom like people take that in what kara just said it's powerful wisdom uh so for me the dance between the eight two and five how does transmission come through those three points that you have access to more than the others even though of course you have access to all of them so this is very interesting, Kara, because you said, of course, you have access to all of them. Transmission happens for me when I'm at the center. Mm. So right at the center of the Enneagram. So when I hear you say right at the center, I'm imagining that we can be in the center of the Enneagram and there are like rays coming out from me in nine directions. And it's because I'm connected to all of my energies that now transmission bursts out with something new. Is that what you're painting for us here? You just painted it beautifully. Mm -hmm. It's the sun's rays and which line needs to be most vocal, which line needs to be most heard, which line needs to be most seen, which line needs to be most tasted, which line needs to be most smelt, 
which line needs to be most felt in my body mm. and in service to humanity and to the planet. Mm. So it's the standing on that center thought and letting and letting, letting, letting that energy guide me to pull me, to pull what is most needed through. Hmm. It's very so, beautiful. I've never heard anyone reference standing in the middle of the Enneagram. And when I, when you said it, I was like, of course, you know, how do we get, and there's a million metaphors coming to center, like centering practice. You know, there's the center is really like where we're trying to be, which opens us up. And when I know that I feel less comfortable with one of the energies on the Enneagram wheel, that's a place I can get really curious. Why do I believe I have less access to that than these other points? What is it that happened? What's in my own lineage? What do I need to heal or look at that's blocking my full expression of that? Because when I'm in the center without blocks, it sounds and it feels, and I even feel like I'm tasting how glorious that is. And it's also an invitation to the changing and unchanging world. So while we speak a lot about change, how change is constant, the unchanging is also omnipresent. Mm -hmm. So are we at the depths of the ocean or are we riding one of the waves? Mm. So which wave do we want to ride? Which wave do we want to circumambulate? And being very deliberate with our choices. So having more free will. And I think I use that term very, very cautiously. Because again, we all have these leaden blankets on us. So it's dusting off the conditioned self so that our true nature can shine. And I love the metaphor with the waves and the water, because now I'm imagining myself choosing to go surfing. And, you know, if I am out in the middle of the ocean with my surfboard, I don't catch every single wave that comes by me. I'm waiting for the one that is going to serve me best in whatever need that is. So maybe there's like a wave of rage going by. I love to say, I do not have to attend every argument I am invited to. Maybe I let that wave go on by because that's not going to serve me in this moment. But, oh, here's a grief wave. You know what? Maybe I need some mourning. Maybe I'm going to ride that one and just really like savor that wave. Or here's a wave of truth. So we can just really look at our own life and all of the opportunities we have and recognizing that in all of our relationships, we're being served up waves that we can ride or not ride all the time. And we can't control the waves, but we can learn to surf is what I think I've heard many of my teachers say. And that really resonates with this whole concept that you're talking about right now. And we can also hold that precious part of us that is always there. Mm. That awareness, 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 just that awareness. Yeah, because sometimes we might not serve at all. We might just be present inside of all of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And how, and I love that you brought up anger too as one of the waves. And how, how do we use anger appropriately? Yeah, sometimes you ride that wave. But right. How do I express it in a way that can also contain love? Yeah. And, you know, you're exciting me because I had just heard our dear Russ speaking on this. And I wrote down a little piece that really landed with me that love without strength is sentimentality. And strength without love is some kind of control issue. So when I'm choosing to ride that anger wave, because we know that anger is a wonderful resource for strength, if nothing upsets me, it's hard sometimes to take action because I don't really care. I'm not feeling that juice of the red essence. I'm not activated. I'm not moved to initiate. But mm -hmm. if I can't do that with love, yeah, it's not going to land the way that I intend. 
and, and with wisdom. I would dose in, I would apply, mm. I would also add in wisdom because wisdom is also knowing what to say, how to say it from the place. It's not, it's not love. It's a thought. It's a mind of, of knowing kind of that right part of the wave mm. to not to bring love and um, compassion into the conversation with the right, with the right thought. We don't have right intention. Yeah. Everything kind of drifts away in my, in my opinion. Absolutely. And then to also just pulling compassion with all of it to recognize that, you know, this, I'm angry right now. There's something that hurts. Like we get angry because something is threatened that we deeply care about. And how can I communicate that without hurting the other person, even though I also have to have less attachment to how they might respond to my rage? Because they may not enjoy it, and that could be okay. It's not like we're trying to create some container where everybody's feeling good all the time. We have to recognize that some of these conversations get really sticky. And what kind of grit and determination and commitment do we have to staying with something that's hard? Not to a point where we hit overwhelm. I know that I sometimes need timeouts, and I need to kind of go get some empathy regroup a little, dive under what is this about for me, but then can I come back with a little more clarity, a little more wisdom, a little more heart and try take another round because we mm -hmm. don't always solve things right away. So true. And to lean into discomfort and not, and to keep, because in discomfort, there's something there to be explored. In our suffering, there is something to be explored, which then illuminates a new facet of our being so for me often people back away you know i love discussion and i love heated conversations because for me new facets of reality are exhibited and shown and yet i realize that that can make a lot of people uncomfortable so it's like doing it with softness gentleness luminosity joy and play and i don't think play is is talked about enough either like how do we be playful in these tense moments? Because the play will invite in a different atmosphere mm. into the conversation. Yeah, you can't really play and be contracted at the same time because play is an expansive energy. It's an energy that contains possibility. I'm thinking of improv where it's like, yes, and can I please include your experience even if it's not my experience, even if I'm not agreeing or interpreting it that way, can I hold that that's your experience? And you modeled that so beautifully when I was sharing my experience before and then just saying, and there's this. And so now what have we thrown into the cauldron of creation and what magical new element will emerge? Well, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And I felt your energy, you can't see Kara right now, but her energy is effervescent. There's kind of a bubbly quality to her and her smile is just glowing. <laughs> and, and, and then it becomes okay to not be right, to toss out ideas, to create new ideas and for things to pop open, for mysteries to unlock, for us to um, explore the real dimensions of reality with a fresh face and how I'm do we see our own face in it. Yeah, I'm coming to see this idea of relationships like jazz, you know, and when you find another musician, I think the reason that I'm smiling and the reason that I feel so connected to play is because, you know, you're playing with me and we're just throwing these ideas out there. And this is my favorite type of podcast. Notice I don't script anything. You and I were like, why are we talking? Well, we're talking because you're launching some amazing new offerings that people need to know about. So we're going to talk about those. And what else are we going to talk about? I don't know. This is improv. This is jazz. We're in a relational field. And yeah, there might be some cacophony from time to time if I interrupt you or get too excited or we don't we miss a point we're making, but it's all just part of the practice and part of the play. And I think it's the way we're holding it in this container that has been so fun for me. It's been really, really fun for me too, Tara. And 
may our worlds be more playful because we're up against some challenging stuff and we're up against some challenging stuff environmentally. And I think the only and feel the only way new solutions are going to come through is through this different field, through mm-hmm. a different way of being and doing together. Absolutely. And more of our humanity and more of our swing set and sandboxes to the table so that we can play and play with different dimensions and in different realms and with different sounds, with different tastes, with different sights, because that's where new things happen. They don't happen in the old, they can happen in the old ways, but in the same way, you know what I mean? So it's like, how do we bring our new sandboxes, our new swing sets, our new, uh, I have yoga silks downstairs, our new yoga silks, you know, to, to play and to expose ourselves in new ways. And in exposing ourselves in new ways, the new new things happen for the betterment of humanity and the planet. Yes. Well, I know that you have a call at the top of the hour. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that if you want to have as much fun playing with Catherine as I did this past hour, that we will have in the show notes a link to all of her offerings and this whole idea of bring your toys and she's going to bring her toys and you guys are going to have so much fun co-creating together. So thank you for all the work that you're doing and everything that you're bringing out and your generosity for people that may even have some financial limitations around participation. And are there any last words that you'd like to leave us with before we wrap this episode for today? Gratitude to you, Kara, for having me on today, for initiating this conversation, for also you brought me through, like your questions were just kind of pulled me through. And for everybody listening, I just want to have an intention that may we all live into our divine potential. Mm. Amen. Yeah. So that that's what I'd like to, and please come and play on all the different courses and offerings that we are doing. And you'll notice everything I'm doing is in relationship. Mm. So please join Dr. Deborah Egerton and I and keep playing. Thank you, Catherine. If you're enjoying these episodes, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at social at I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, including typology, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Please visit my website at karenancemd.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation if you'd like to work with me in any way. We also have the opportunity for free classes.